2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 32 are our verses today. We're going to actually hopefully finish the chapter. We're getting close to the end of 2 Corinthians, by the way. But if you want, turn with me to Proverbs 26. And we'll start with some controversy. Controversy is probably too strong of a word, but if you were a critic of the Bible, you would want to know this Proverbs 26. Look with me at verse 4 and 5, and you'll see what some of the critics love to point out in the Bible. Proverbs 26, verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Look at the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Aha! I knew it. The Bible contradicts itself. It can't be true. Right there in in verse 4, it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Then in verse 5, it says, No, answer him. Well, make up your mind. What's going on here? Is this a contradiction? Well, if you were to come to me and say, look, I've found a contradiction in the Bible, I would probably, first thing I would say to you is, now, don't you think that if it was a contradiction that the writer would have been smart enough to at least move the verse a few verses back? <laughs> right? To, to expose this terrible weakness in the Bible. I, I would think he would be at least smart enough to go, you know what, there'd be a better place for that. This is not a contradiction. This is merely a stated dilemma. Think about it. You guys know this. When it comes to dealing with a fool, you can't win. Verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. But answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. What do you do with these verses? Here's what I do. In general, I try to live by verse 4. I start with verse 4. That is my rule of thumb. But sometimes when that fool whom you've let go on and on, starts to think, well, I guess I've won this argument, and he starts to either damage himself or others around him. Sometimes when that person thinks he silenced you, you need to use verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. See, I love that this right here shows that the Bible and the Holy Spirit work together. That's what we just prayed, that the Holy Spirit would work through the Bible to actually teach us. I love it that the Bible is not a formula set in stone, but it is a following of the Spirit. It's not a law, but it's listening to the voice of God. It's not a set of rules, but it is a relationship. Sometimes, most of the time, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. But on the other hand, sometimes you need to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. The reason I bring all this up is because that's exactly what's going on in chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, turn with me. See, Paul has been living by Proverbs 26.4. He's not going to answer a fool according to his folly. Last week, he said, look, you guys are using carnal weapons, but I'm not going to use them. He's been doing all that he can to live by 26.4, and now he's like, you know what, maybe I need to use Proverbs 26.5. Now, who are the fools that he's dealing with? You guys know if you've been with us, the Judaizers, those who follow Paul wherever he goes, and they stir up trouble. See, 
after Paul goes into a town and births a church, these guys follow up by running him down. They walk in and they commend themselves. They say, oh, we're so much more skilled at these things than Paul is. They talk themselves up by talking Paul down. Again, you're probably used to the laundry list by now. What are the things they were saying about Paul? He's not a real apostle. You can't trust him. He said he was going to come to Corinth and he didn't. If he was a real authorized apostle, he'd have a letter of commendation like we do. They, they were saying, he's not physically impressive like we are. Yeah, sure, he writes big, weighty letters, but his oratory skills are way beneath ours. And, oh, by the way, we learned this Thursday, they would also say things like this. The reason he doesn't take your money like we do is because he knows he's not a professional. He's not really skilled at these things like we are. That was the kind of backbiting that Paul was facing while he was in Macedonia but the church was being attacked by these, uh, these false apostles. And no doubt, we know Paul had supporters in Corinth. Back in chapter 1, uh, very first chapter, Paul said, some of you guys are in Peter's camp, some of you are in Apostles' camp, some of you are in Paul's camp. No doubt those that were in Paul's camp must have been begging him. Stand up for yourself, man. Remind them who you are. Remind them what you've accomplished. Tell them how you single-handedly are spreading Christianity throughout the known world. Tell them about all the letters that you're writing that will someday be in the Bible. Catalog your miracles for us, Paul. List your accolades. And up till now, Paul has said, nope. Proverbs 26.4 says not to answer a fool according to his folly. But now, today, Paul changes his tactics. He's like, you know what, maybe it's time to answer the fool according to his folly. In the, the, and in the words of the great theologian, Mr. T, I pity these fools. <laughs> let's, let's get a running start. Chapter 11, look at verse 1. This will give you an idea of where Paul is. Verse 1, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. There it is. And indeed you do bear with me. And in verse 2 and following he shares his motive. He says, this is the why I'm going to resort to these tactics. Verse 2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul shares his motive there. Basically, what we're seeing is Paul is protective of this church in Corinth. He's saying, this is really important, guys. They are taking you away from what is important. Think about it. This is not just Paul's reputation that is at stake. These false apostles that have come into Corinth are no longer just drawing the church away from Paul. They're drawing the church away from the simplicity that is in Christ. They are trying to steal people away from following Jesus. So Paul says, it's time to change strategies. Time to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And Paul now examines his ministry compared to his accusers. Look with me, verse 5. Again, we covered these on Thursday. Verse 5, he says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, 
Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Paul says with us, as opposed to them, what you see is what you get. Now look with verse 13 and 15. We're almost to our text this morning. Verse 13 through 15, Paul exposes now his accusers. The gloves are really coming off. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. That brings us to verse 16, which is where we left off on Thursday. Paul is now going to answer these fools according to their folly. But clearly, Paul is not comfortable with it. Let me give you an outline real quick this morning. Verses 16 through 21, we'll call that Paul's pre-boasting. It's where he's going to explain, okay, now I don't really mean this, guys, but I really want you to understand. That's the pre-boasting, verses 16 through 21. Verses 22 through 29... Well, that's the outright boasting. And then verses 30 to 33, we'll call post-boasting. No, that's not a serial. It's his conclusion after he boasts. So let's look at the pre-boasting, verse 16 through 21. Now, before we get there, this is really encouraging to me. I don't know if you've talked with me much, but I have this habit of wanting people to understand what I say before I say it. I, I say, okay, now, before I say this, let me explain, and I know I lose a lot of people. I end up loading my sentence with all sorts of qualifiers before I even say what I'm going to say. I love it that verse 16 and 21, Paul does the same thing. He's already said twice now that he's going to speak foolishness, but I can tell he's not comfortable with it, and he wants you And the Corinthians to really understand, look, this is not how I want to deal with this. This is not me. I am not looking forward to this. Verse 16. He says, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I may also may boast a little. In other words, Paul says, look, I'm hoping you don't really take me as a fool. But if you do, then just humor me while I rant. Verse 17. He says, what I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly. There's the word again. In this confidence of boasting. Paul says, look, don't blame the Lord for what I'm about to say. He says, this is me answering a fool in his folly. Verse 18. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. Most of you know this, but... Corinth was the second, the the home of the second largest Olympic Games. So a part of the fabric of life in Corinth was trash talking. It's like, oh, I could do that better. Like, wait, wait till I get to see you in the ring. There was this, in Corinth, this sign of confidence and strength was this idea of boasting. And Paul now is speaking to the Corinthians and he says basically this. Okay, okay. If foolish boasting is the only thing that you can understand, then I will, too, do some trash talking. Now, why is Paul reluctant to boast? Well, I thought of a way to explain it to you. We haven't done an audience participation in a while. You guys ready? No? 
Okay, over here, from here over, when I say the word boast or boasting, you guys read it with me, okay? Got it? So you guys get to be the boasters. Over here, you get to be the fools. <laughs> now that was random, of course, that's random. When I say fools or foolishness, you guys read, okay? Read with me verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly. In this confidence of seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are so wise. Besides to wake you up, the, the thing I wanted to point out here is that four times in four verses, the word fool or foolishness. And four times in four verses, the word boast or boasting. You know why? Because boasting is foolishness. I was reading actually this morning, Isaiah 10 this Assyrian king is used by God to discipline his own kids, the children of Israel. But the king thinks that he's, it's all in his own power. He's like, man, I'm, I've got it together. I'm crushing these guys, and it's all because of my own strength. Listen to Isaiah 10, verse 15, where God calls this guy out. He says, but can the axe boast greater power than the person who uses it? Is the saw greater than the person who saws? Can a rod strike unless a hand moves it? Can a wooden cane walk by itself? No. See, the reason Paul is so uncomfortable with boasting is that it is foolishness. It's foolishness for us to take any credit when it is God who must be the hand that move, moves us. Look at verse 18 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh... I also will boast. Verse 19. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. Verse 19. Paul gives us a hint, I think, as to how these Corinthians could be so duped by these false apostles. How could they fall for this? Well, the end of verse 19, he says, since you yourselves are so wise. I think it's flattery. The way they got taken in by these False apostles, remember, this is Corinth, a Greek city. They're proud of their sophistry. They're proud of their philosophy, their great oration. I think the false teachers came in and said, you Corinthians, you have the best of everything. You, you are well gifted in spiritual gifts. You guys have a lot of income that's coming in here. Don't you think you deserve the very best teachers? Don't you think you deserve gifted speakers as opposed to Paul? He's not gifted when it comes to speaking. I think that they, we talked about it last, uh, last Sunday. I think their, their way into the, the stronghold, that the foothold that they gained was through flattery. And what we're going to find is then the, the false teachers proceeded to abuse the Corinthians, the ones whom they had flattered. When it comes to flattery, you've got to think like a dinner roll. Someone is buttering you up, their next move is to sink their teeth into you. 
That's exactly what happened in Corinth. Because look, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 20. He says, for you put up with it. If one brings you into bondage. That's another great clue that we have that this is legalism that uh, they are espousing. He says, for you put up with it if one devours you. Like some TV evangelists that devour the savings of old widows. He says, for you put up with it if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in the face. Commentators say that this was an actual practice in rabbinical schools. If the rabbi, the teacher, was speaking and you weren't paying attention, they would slap you on the face. If you fell asleep during his message, he would slap you on the face. (laughs) I'm just saying. See, this totally makes sense because if Paul's detractors really were Judaizers, that means they came out of Judaism, rabbinical school, this is what we do. Look, if you fall asleep, if you're not paying attention, we slap you. So it's an amazing thing that they had adapted their practices now to the Christian church. So these Judaizers who had flattered the Corinthians had by this time descended to physical abuse of the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were just taking it. And Paul says, what is up with that? Probably the Corinthians imagined that they were obeying Jesus' words. Right? Because didn't Jesus say, Luke 6, 29, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also? The Corinthians were like, well, we're wise here. You know, when they strike us, this is is our reasoning. Listen, listen. Jesus did say those words. That is to be our reaction when the world persecutes us. Jesus never intended that you would submit to a man in a pulpit stealing from you, striking you in Jesus' name. And yet some people don't feel like they have been to church unless they get beat up. Man, preacher really ripped into us today. It was awesome. Now, of course, if the Lord is speaking, he's righteous and we are not. There is going to be some correction. But just like a, a father to a son or a mother to a daughter, with correction, it should always be mingled with love. See, these Corinthians had been seduced into, well, an abusive relationship with these false apostles. Now, how does that happen? I mean, surely that doesn't happen this day and age, does it? Well, this is from the AP this week. The leader of a polygamous Mormon splinter group was convicted Tuesday of being an accomplice to rape for performing a wedding between a 19-year-old man and a 14-year-old girl. Warren Jeffs, 51, could get life in prison after a trial that threw a spotlight on a renegade community along the Arizona-Utah line, where as many as 10,000 of Jeffs' followers practice plural marriage and revere him as, listen to this, a mighty prophet with dominion over their salvation. Jeffs succeeded his father in 2002 as president of the Fundamental Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Former members say he rules with an iron fist, demanding perfect obedience from followers and exercising the right to arrange marriages as well as break them up and assign new spouses. And we say, of course, why in the world would somebody put up with that? That's the exact same question Paul was asking the Corinthians. Look at verse 20 again. It says, for you put up with it. 
If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in the face. Then Paul says, heavenly sarcasm, verse 21, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. In other words, these guys strike you on the face and you give them your allegiance. I'm so sorry that we didn't have the boldness to do that for you. He says, please forgive us our weakness that we didn't strike you in the face. If you've ever known someone in an abusive relationship, one who gets beat up but won't remove themselves from that situation, you know the frustration that Paul is dealing with here with the church. He says at the end of verse 21, But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Paul ends now his pre-boasting and gets busy boasting. See, one of the things that you need to know as we go to verse 22, one of the things that the Judaizers boasted about was their pedigree, their lineage from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob. Paul says, now remember, answering a fool with folly, verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. As a matter of fact, you guys know, you couldn't get more Hebrew than Paul. Philippians 3, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Paul says, you can't get more Jewish than me. Verse 23, 11, 23. Paul says, are they ministers of Christ? Again, he's not comfortable. He says, I speak as a fool. I would not normally say this, but I am more. They're ministers of Christ. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Compared to these foolish boasters, Paul says, I work harder. I've been whipped more times than I can remember. I've been imprisoned more times than they have for certain. I'm thinking about having my actual uh, residence taken there at the jail. He says, I face death daily. Y'all, this, this is Paul's resume. We've, we've actually looked at these verses quite a few times because it gives us such great perspective on Paul. As you guys know, we've been praying for a building. What we're discovering is whether it comes sooner or later, please be praying for sooner. <laughs> we're probably going to need a loan unless God wants to bless us with some great financial gift. Um. <laughs> but one of the things that, that a bank often asks for, we're discovering, is a resume of the pastor. And I've been working on that, getting all of my accomplishments down on paper. It's going to take all, you know, a lot of time. Well, Paul managed to convince all of his in six verses. Let's see. Paul, home address, Antioch Church. Uh, mailing address, well, it depends on which jail I'm in that month. Title, uh, apostle, uh, from about A.D., maybe 38 to present. Accomplishments, let's, let's see. Verse 24. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You guys want to participate one more time? No? Okay. There are so many things in here where you read them and you go, wow, I can't imagine anybody going through that. So I was thinking as we go through, occasionally I'll just ask you the question. Um, If you were one of Paul's companions and you came up against these things, I'm going to say, would you be in or out? And most of the time I'm going to be saying, I'm out. Look at verse 24. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. This was the Jewish punishment for heresy. Now, 40 stripes were considered cruel. 39, not so bad, I guess. If the guard applied 40 or more, probably more actually, he's probably allowed 40, but if he applied 41, he could actually be subject to the the whipping himself. So what they did was they... They counted to 39 just to make sure that they didn't lose count. Right? If I lose count, I still got one so that I don't mess up. Mark 13, verse 9, Jesus said, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. Well, Paul could say, Yep, Jesus was right. Because Paul was beaten, it says, five times. And again, we know this is a Jewish punishment. Five times Paul received that punishment from the Jews. Now, After, say, four whippings, would you be in or out? I'm out. Look at verse 25. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Now, the Jewish Jewish, uh, folks applied stripes, but the Romans, they had their their own kind of punishment. They applied rods. They used rods kind of like caning, if you remember, a few years back. There was a big controversy about a guy being caned in a a foreign land. Paul believed in diversity. He was whipped by the Jews, caned by the Romans. Now, after the fifth whipping, maybe say the second beating with canes, with rods, would you be in or out? I'm out. But listen to this. Acts chapter 16. You can turn there if you want, but you don't need to. Acts 16, verse 22 Then the multitude rose up together against them, that is Paul and Silas, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. That's one of the places it happened. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And then in verse 25 of that same chapter, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. One of those places that blows you away. They have just been beaten with rods. They're like, hey, let's sing a praise song. (laughs) How does that happen? Go back with me to, to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. And then he says, once I was stoned. If you really made the Jews mad, they wouldn't just whip you. They would take you outside the city and throw rocks at you. 
literally boulders probably, until you were dead. That happened to Paul in Lystra and Derby. So let me see. After the fifth whipping, the third stoning, as you lay broken under a pile of boulders, would you be in or out? I'm out. Acts 14, verses 19 to 20. This is where it happened. Let me give you this account. This is what Paul did in this one time that he was stoned. He says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So, I would have been out. He gets up, brushes himself off, and he goes right back into the exact same city that had him stoned. Paul says, three times, uh, continuing on in verse 25, 2 Corinthians 11, 25, he says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Three shipwrecks. And one of those, he says, I floated out in the ocean for 24 hours before being rescued. Think about that. 24 constant hours of hearing the loop in your head. Da-dum. Da-dum. <laughs> 24 hours of that. Would you be in or out? I'm out. And guys, this was written before Acts chapter 20 and following. The, the, the big scene where Paul is in the Eurycliden, the, the hurricane, that happened after he wrote this. Amazing. Verse 26, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. That's pretty much perils 24-7. Would you be in or out? I'm out. Verse 27, in weariness. Yeah, I guess. I'm exhausted just reading it. He says, In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. I get grumpy just when I miss one meal. He says, In cold and nakedness. Now, this is new. We actually don't have any record of this. But apparently, one of, another of the persecutions that Paul faced was that they would strip him naked and send him out into the cold. These are Paul's credentials. And those are just the pressures from the outside, outside of his head. Here's what's going on inside his head. Look with me, verse 28. Beside the other things, what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. There we see Paul's shepherding heart. He's like, okay, in between the shipwrecks and the beatings and the whippings, the stonings, you know what happens? My mind travels to the churches. I'm concerned about the churches. We've studied... Uh, Galatians, we know that he was distraught that they were falling into legalism. He probably is thinking, okay, in Thessalonica, they're sitting around waiting for the Lord to come back. Nobody's doing any work. In, in Corinth, well, these guys are, are carnal, and they're also being led into legalism. This is what Paul's saying, and this is what I deal with inside my head. Verse 29, who is weak? And I am not weak. I think what he's saying is when I, when I hear about the suffering that the saints are going through in all of the churches, I suffer too. Then he says, who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation. The word burn there is pyru, 
as in pyromaniac. Um, it means to burn with fire, to set on fire, to kindle, to ignite. Paul, again, is showing us his passion here. He says, I hear about these Judaizers, these legalists, leading you away from the faith, and it ignites me. It, it sets me off. Paul says, you wanted me to, to boast? You wanted me to do a little bit of boasting? Well, that's what it's like to be Paul. He says, every day I face death, and every day I worry about you. So we've seen Paul's pre-boasting. He says, I'm going to speak foolishness. I don't want to. Then we've seen his boasting, all of the things he endured. Now let's look at his post-boasting, his conclusion, verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Look back at that list, that long list we just went through. Tell me, is it a list of victorious conquerings? Let's see, uh, whippings, stonings, canings, shipwreck. None of those are a mark of great worldly success. If this was Paul's resume and you were a bank, you would not give him a loan. You might take out a life insurance policy on him. Be thinking, well, surely we'll collect sooner or later. But that's just it. The miraculous thing was not all the stuff he accomplished. It's what he endured. And I'm speaking to some of you right now. We would all love for God to shine through what we accomplish. But so often, God wants to shine through what we endure. By the power of the Spirit. Remember? Paul said, we have this treasure on the inside of these earthen vessels. Let me read to you uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 and following. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are, listen, hard-pressed on every side, yet we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are always carrying about in the body, listen, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. The way that God shows himself to the world around you is by the dying that happens, but the living that you do. Look with me at verse 31, chapter 11, verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul says, I am not padding this resume. Every single one of these things happened to him. And oddly, what a weird way to to close this chapter. Look at verse 32. Paul says, In Damascus, the governor, under Aretas the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and I escaped from his hands. That seemed like a left turn. I don't think so. Let me paint the scene for you. It was very early in Paul's apostolic career, before all of these things had happened on his resume. Paul had been anointed in Damascus. Remember, the Lord laid him out, and then the Lord spoke to Ananias, said, you need to go to this man, because, Acts 19, verse 15, or 9, verse 15, excuse me, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. 
for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, I think Paul heard the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, but I'm not sure that he heard the must suffer for my name's sake right away. Paul had only been saved for a little while here in this scene in Damascus. No doubt he had his own vision of how God was going to use him. Well, I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees. I'm educated at the feet of Gamaliel. I'll use the force of my wisdom. I'll apply the same passion and zeal that I applied to the persecuting the church to protecting the church. Paul probably walked into Damascus thinking, this will be the first of many wonderful things on my resume as an apostle. How I, I brought the gospel to Damascus, a city that I formerly was planning on persecuting. It's like, this is going to be great when the book comes out. But it didn't happen that way. Instead of Paul walking in and arresting the king's attention, the king is trying to arrest Paul. The king has ordered him arrested. And instead of the big stage that Paul probably imagined, his first assignment ends with him being let down outside the wall in a laundry basket. That's what that is. He says, I was let down in a basket. It was a big basket. And this is how Paul's glorious first assignment ended. What a letdown. Now, why does Paul share this story? Well, I think, speculation, but I think it's because it's the first time he got it. While he was being let down, while he was suffering his first letdown in ministry, I think it occurred to him. So this is the way God is glorified. Not by what I accomplish, but more by what I endure. Are you guys suffering letdown this morning? Could it be that God is letting you down from your expectations of grandeur? That he might use you the way he wants? Perhaps he doesn't want to show the world all that you can accomplish. Perhaps he wants to show them what he can do through weakness, treasure, and earthen vessels. Let me just read those verses for you again as we close. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies.